This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you, and I hope you had a great weekend. In a few moments, we'll talk with our great producer, Noah Dingley, who makes sure that the show is going on time and on uh, key and everything else. We'll get an update from him. I always like talking to Noah off the air. We always talk about his uh, sons. He's got two sons. Very proud of them. They're in their 20s, I think early 20s or so. And they, they I, I like to hear uh, firsthand what the perspective on things, economy, in this case, the pandemic and others. And uh, we'll also get a, an update in a few moments from uh, Ted Malik. Uh, Ted Malik, of course, is the great business writer, businessman, and has also been a political pundit a, uh, for the past five or six years, really writing on Trump, wrote a book on Trump called Trump's World. Uh, Fascinating man. We'll talk with Ted. We often do. And we'll wrap up by talking about how uh, even the AMA, the American Medical Association, uh, which if you're not, uh, you know, closely watching medicine or anything else, you wouldn't know. Uh, if you are, if you're a doctor or a nurse or in uh, in that field, you would have some sense. They've gone bonkers. I mean, they became liberal and they've gone bonkers. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But first, let's talk a little bit about China. I don't know if you're watching the Olympics, uh, but I'm watching it on and off and on. My, my, you know, my children, I have four children, 17, 14, 12, and nine years old, and uh, they like it, right? So we've been, <clears throat> excuse me, checking in and out on it. Uh, the timing of it, because it's in Tokyo, is difficult, but we've watched some, I don't know, some handball and some water polo and different things, and it's kind of, it is fun. I, I enjoy rooting for, I like watching sports. I like the Olympics because it's different than the, the smoothness of professional sports, the slickness of those guys at that level and gals at that level even, uh, and I, although I like college sports too, but anyway... Um, China and America and even Russia to some extent are in a race to see overall uh, medals and all that stuff. Uh, But here's what I want to point out to you. I mentioned a week or two ago, my question was, where is the um, problems? Where are the problems in the communist Chinese regime regarding COVID? Because either... They're better than the rest of the world. Nobody's actually uh, been able to sort of beat the whole thing. I think everybody's figured out in this country, uh, you know, how to handle the disease, whether it's therapeutics that work or understanding that being healthy is better, whatever it is. But you just don't see any coverage, excuse me, of the 1.3, 1.4 billion Chinese and whether they're suffering from COVID and what's happening with that. And so it's very strange to me. It's hard for me to figure out what is happening with that. And um, I've been wondering, well, the news is out today. Finally, there's some news breaking. It looks like they are having a breakdown, a COVID breakdown. Uh, They're having more problems, health problems. Uh, It's maybe it's just finally leaking out. That's what we have to say. I have to wonder. I've, I've often wondered if, if somehow the, the Chinese were having a lesser impact dramatically than the Americans or than the rest of the world, was it in fact something that was engineered that wouldn't impact their people? Because that would be the ultimate way to engineer that, right? And so I, I, I could be wrong. Again, I think most of us think that the experts were wrong about lots and lots of things about this uh, pandemic. They've been wrong about how it was spread. Do you remember? Do you remember how much and how often, how much disinfectant and hand sanitizer and all that stuff you had to buy and how often you had to use it? Do you remember that people were wiping down their the boxes of their groceries and the mugs? I mean, the, the, um, the jugs of milk and all that. So we were wrong about like lots of stuff. Feels like we were wrong about some of the severity. 
Uh, feels like we were wrong about lots of things, but there's clearly been some things happening, people getting sick and others. And somehow China wasn't being hit by that. Here's my prediction. My prediction is this. It's hard, even in the era of the communist Chinese regime controlling all of their media and technology, you know, the the great uh, uh, cyber wall of China is real. They keep out the Internet from other parts of the world. But here's my prediction. My prediction is China, the communist regime, has a problem. And the problem is it's 1.4 billion people. The problem is that their, their economy is stalled. They're, the problem is that their stock market, has, at least two of the major stock markets in China, have uh, really at least stumbled, if not really started to uh, go into a, you know, a downward trajectory. My prediction is this. Just as we don't know what happened with the COVID pandemic, the Wuhan pandemic in China, we don't really know what the state of their economy is. And one of the questions I'm going to ask later to Ted Malik, because he's spent time in China and understands the global politics with about 50 years of experience more than I do, feels to me like China is headed for a breakdown. That the communist regime, they're jailing billionaires. They jailed a billionaire last week or 10 days ago. They jailed him. I forget what the charges were, but they, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything that looked like it was real. It looked like it was he disagreed with the regime. They have protests and everybody that protests gets arrested, right? They've got Uyghurs in camps and a lot of coverage of that. They've got the Fulan Gong, the adherence to the Fulan Gong, which I often refer to as a, a sort of uh, a, a, a hybrid, a, a spirituality along with a, a, a yoga kind of thing, right? It's got a physical component along with a spirituality. And those people have been persecuted. So we have all these things that are going on. It's getting known more and more. And the fundamentals are off. And so the question is, can the communist regime in this modern world hold it all together? They've certainly invested all over the world. The, the, uh, what is it, the Belt and Road Initiative? I always, I always say that wrong. I always want to say uh, <laughs> Belt, and, uh, Belt and Road Initiative, I think is what it's called. And I have other words that pop into my mind. I can't even remember why I get that right. But they, they've spent trillions of dollars across the country, excuse me, across the world, outside of their country, in developing nations, in Africa and other places. But I'm reminded, I was reminded of this, that the Japanese went on a spending spree too. And they got themselves out, you know, in the 80s and into the 90s, they got themselves out over their their, uh, economy and they really paid a price. They still are. What happens in China if the communist regime loses control of their economy, loses control of the pandemic, loses control of the Internet, because you can bet that just as you hear about cyber attacks on America by uh, ransomware or whatever, you can bet your bottom dollar that the American intelligence and other intelligence agencies are are looking at what's happening in, in the communist re- Chinese regime and looking what's happening to Chinese people and figuring out how to get them information. We've all, everybody's done that. And here's the wrinkle. You get the communist regime in trouble. You've got a major world problem because we're talking about a nuclear power, not on the part of America yet, not on the part of Russia even, but a, a big nuclear power with a lot of horsepower. And stabilizing that country will not be easy if it starts to become unstable. It will be 
lurching around and it will be um, problematic to say the least. So my prediction, again, back to my prediction, my prediction is you're going to see in the coming, I would say in the next year, uh, major uh, fissures, cracks in the communist regime's ability to hold it all together. I think you're going to see coverage of the pandemic hitting China. I think that's coming out. I think you're going to see coverage of the economy in China uh, stumbling, and that's coming out. I think you're going to see more social unrest Because there's about 300 million Chinese nationals that live as the party regulars of the communist regime. And there's about, mm, do the math, right? Another just close to a billion, maybe a little bit more than a billion people who live pretty much like it was 100 years ago in the rest of the world. I mean, it's not exactly, you know, there's hundreds of millions of people, 500 million 500 million people, let's say, let's be, let's be conservative. Let's say that 500 million people are living in, in, in conditions that are something akin to the early 1900s. That, the people are not going to be happy for long as sort of uh, as opportunity uh, or better, uh, better said information gets given to them on what's happening. So my I'm, I'm ringing the warning lights on China, the China warning lights, the communist regimes in trouble. The Chinese won't win the medals uh, contest. The Americans will come through on that. I can feel it and uh, watch China. And again, as much as we should root for China to be crippled for what they've done with fentanyl in America, what they've done to intellectual property, what they've done to uh, trade, all these things, you just got to be careful. But we have to be careful to understand what the real you know, problems are going to be if the communist regime really stumbles. And I'm predicting they will. So we'll take a break, everybody. Come back. We'll talk with uh, we got Noah Dingley today, our great producer, as well as Ted Malik. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here at a Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend, Dr. Ted Malik. Uh, Ted Malik is a well-known author, also a professor over the years, has written on business history and a businessman. And he's got a new piece up on school choice. So first of all, welcome, Ted. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it's August and people are thinking about schools. And this is a very yep. timely piece because I don't want anyone to send their kids back to public school, full stop. <laughs> well, and I think what you know, as we're, what we're what we're watching, and we'll get to the, we'll get more specifically to your piece is whatever the truth of the pandemic. I don't even know what to believe or who to believe. They're fighting amongst themselves, right? I mean, but at this point, parents are being faced two weeks from school starting in places like California and other big Democrat, you know, white. I tell people Democrat controlled. They are they going to even send them back to school? You want to talk about uh, devastating? I mean, it's it's really got people sideways. And and I guess Ted, you know, um, you you've you've viewed this through history. How, I mean, how tumultuous is this moment now? I, I think we are at uh, at the place I'm calling it the Great Divide, where we have to separate and divorce between the socialist states of America and the United States of America. I've never said that before, but that's what I'm thinking. Is the um, okay? So now let's go back to your piece. So when you say school choice, you are not saying uh, find a charter school, see if you can get the school board to stop doing CRT. You're saying get out. No. Well, I'm, I'm saying that parents and communities should uh, choose what is best for their particular um, students' children. Uh, 
I mean, something's right. destroying 50 million American youth. It's atrocious in performance, ideologically slanted, openly woke, savagely damaging to our long-term livelihoods. It costs taxpayers 15 grand a year per people. There's a way to end it. Mm-hmm. We're talking with uh, Ted Malik, his piece, Disestablishment a Second Time. And um, what you're out in California, Ted. Are you in California right now? Is, 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 the, is, the, is, the, is the anger of the politics of this? I know you're saying parents should be motivated. And you go into this piece, by the way, about the, the monopolistic strangleholds of the teachers union, the Democrat political party who's you know, behind them, on and on. But is the politics swinging on them? Are you going to see like a recall of uh, Gavin Newsom in part because normal people are like, we can't have this? Well, one would hope so. I don't think that in a state like California that uh, the swing is is necessarily going to be as great as uh, some of us would like to see. Uh, but there there is, I think, um, what could you say, a bubbling up in America that we're, quote, unquote, not going to take this anymore. And the schools are part of that dynamic, an important institution in our social lives. So just like separating the church from the state, which was, of course, an American idea at the time of the founding. The separation would lead to a plurality of choices, system run by parents and communities, including those of various religious orientations, very important to me, instead of a unitary dictate from on high, controlled by so-called expert liberal bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. And we're talking with Ted Malik again, and in this piece, uh, and, and by the way, Ted, is this piece over at AmericanGreatness.com? I'm sorry I don't have it in my notes where it's, it's running. It's, or where's it uh, it's going to be coming up in the next two days, so I'm giving okay. you a foretaste. <laughs> Great. So in the middle of this, you say this, you write this, to date there are almost 30 voucher programs in 18 states. Yeah. Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Mississippi, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Utah, Vermont, Wisconsin, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico. Here's my question. Why aren't there more? I mean, at this point, why aren't there more? It's the strangest thing that we haven't had a school choice movement that's even broader. And are you seeing in here you do say it's picking up steam, right? Yeah. and, And the reason is because the experiment is piecemeal. It's 40 years old. It's an afterthought. It's underfunded. And dismantling the current system, and I'm calling for a complete transformational change to school choice, money and all, the important point there, money and all, nothing else will suffice, is difficult to do. And the forces that oppose it, the establishment, that includes rhino Republicans and almost all the Democrats, should not be, um, you know, should not be discounted. It's, it's a strong force against school choice. Well, I always tell the story in Missouri, from which I'm most familiar. We we got a, a school um, scholarship tax credit, modest school choice, in about 2004 mm-hmm. or five, and it was blocked not by the Democrats. We had urban Democrats, Black Democrats, who wanted it. It was blocked yes. by some of the rural rural Republican members, who the biggest uh, the biggest employer in their in their sit in their uh, district was the uh, superintendent, uh, you know, the school system, and and they didn't want it, and they, the system was holding it back. I guess I guess the question here is. Of all the groups that have um, been impacted, the school teachers union, they got tons of money in the COVID bailout. They got um, Joe Biden, who's on their side. The CDC is changing their rules and recommendations to accommodate the teachers unions. Are they um, are they uh, over? I mean, they feel like they're overplaying their hand and you must think they are. But uh, are, are people catching on? Yeah, I think parents have caught on. 
in many places, they're just saying, you know, we're not going to take it anymore. Uh, you know, we don't we don't want this kind of curriculum. We don't want Marxism. We don't want the masking. We don't want necessarily this uh, kind of education. So it, it's one thing to complain about that. What we have to do is what I'm calling for is disestablish this entire system, take control of it and give the money to the parents to let them make a decision. You want to go to a public school, a private school, a charter school, a religious school, a vocational school, a distance learning school. I don't care. But the parents get to decide. And that $15,000 or whatever, that's an average number, whatever that number is, goes with the student. Now we have transformational change. Yeah. And of course, so by the way, one of the things, again, we're talking with Ted Malik and, and his book, Trump's World, is really worth reading. Also, I have a couple of his other books. One of the early ones, uh, Ted, or uh, not so early, but maybe five or six years ago, was Davos, Aspen, and Yale. Uh, and it's uh, Ted Malik talking about his life as a in, in the global uh, world and economy and what he got, a glimpse behind the curtain. It's pretty good, good, cool to read. But so, but back to this, it's um, if you get this school choice, everybody, you don't just help your own school where you are, and I'm mean, depending where you listen. You also know that Chicago and D.C. and St. Louis, these urban hell holes that, that, mm-hmm. they, they, that these kids are trapped and they're black and they're brown and they're poor white and they can get a chance to get out. Uh, now, Ted, I don't want to I, I want to post this piece on, but I want to take a minute or two with you, though, because I want to ask you about the economy, your, your expertise as a businessman mm-hmm. and a professor and other books you've written. Um, you know, China has seemed to slow. They have a COVID problem, maybe. Their economy seems to slow, at least their market, stock market and all. What's the global, uh, what are you seeing in the, in the global economy? How worried are you about America and our inflation, uh, inflation coming? What's your sense of this right now? Well, the macro forecast is for, you know, continued economic growth, maybe not quite as robust as some of the numbers originally suggested. The one number that even the Fed is concerned about, and you saw that in Jerome Powell's statements last week, uh, and Mrs. Yellen basically has uh, said the same thing, is that inflation is kicked up, and they don't quite know what to do with it. They're saying, we hope it's temporary, we hope it's a blip, but they know it's not the case. So across the board, whether it's gasoline, meat, lumber, housing, stock, et cetera, the prices are out of control. That hurts the middle class and the working class, and they are, uh, I mean, similar to schools, mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. And once this begins to bite, which I think has certainly begun, it's going to take its toll. Is the and so is the is the toll on us? Is it a toll on the world economy? What is the? I I, I watched some of the China uh, watchers. I, I've been reading the China watchers who mm-hmm. say that China has um, the regime has more trouble than people realize. Is that real or what's your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm certainly hopeful that that's real, uh, <laughs> but it's the most dictatorial, murderous regime in human history. So if they had and they do have constant protests and upheaval. They throw people in jail, they put people in concentration camps, and they kill their own citizens. So, yes, there'll be more of that. I mean, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago against against China, really. I called it taking kinetic actions against China. I I refer to it. Uh, We have to take seriously that China is not a friend, is not a frenemy. It is our adversary. It is our enemy. And that means we have to take every measure 
and that means along the entire spectrum from military in Connecticut right down to psychological and economic against China. And without mm-hmm. Trump or someone like him in power, certainly Beijing Joe is not going to do that. The, yeah, uh, all right. Three, day, three days before he took the presidency, the Chinese Communist Party gave $54 million to the Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Who do you think controls who? <laughs> wow. All right, Ted Malik, always uh, filling us in. Thank you. And again, the piece, which I will post as soon as it's up, it's called Disestablishment a Second Time. Ted Malik, uh, so valuable. And again, look for his books all over and his writings. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate it. Good, Ed. Thanks. All right, we'll take a break, everyone. Be, be right back. Ted Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. It's time. It's time. I had a crazy couple of weeks, and I've been on the road, and I've been here and there, and every time you hear um, I make a mistake on the air, you don't hear it because Noah saves me. But we have another segment of Noah Says. Noah Dingley, our great producer, comes from behind uh, well, it goes out in front of the microphone, although he has his own program on The Answer San Diego and podcasts and all. And uh, welcome back, Noah. How are you? I am doing well. And just so you know, if you mess up this segment, we're leaving it in. So uh, you got to be on your best behavior. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, uh, let me ask you, before we get to the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers uh, trying to buy another World Series, which we'll get to, uh, I want to ask you about how you have sons that are uh, young adults, uh, fully out in the workforce. How do the young people react to all this COVID stuff? In other words, most young people, you know, that aren't the lunatics or uh, unpleasant people, if you tell them, hey, um, this restaurant wants you to wear a shirt, they wear a shirt, right? They're, you know, they're not, but but what's, how, how are these young people feeling about COVID, the shutdown, the pandemic, the economy? Are you, you give me some perspective. Well, I mean, my kids are in their early 20s and they've paid attention to not only the so-called pandemic since the onset, but what you know, the information that I've shared with them and, you know, what is real, what is not real. And at the end of the day, not only do I know, but they know this is a real virus, but they also know what I have told them. And it's not hard. You can find it pretty much anywhere. And if you put A, B and C together, it is an overblown, overhyped political power grab. So are they going to stop living their life? They tell me all the time, no, dad, I'm not. And they, if it's required to wear a mask someplace in order to get into someplace and they really don't want to wear one, they just don't go. You know, right. if it, if they really want to go someplace then they'll maybe wear the mask, but they also think that the, you know, vaccine should be a matter of choice. It's, it's, it's not up for the government or anybody else to tell us what we need to do with our bodies when it comes to our health. So there, I'm very proud of both of them that they uh, have a, a good sense of what's really going on. Well, and, but, and, and so again, we're talking with Noah Dingley, our producer of the great program here and, and also a great guy. And, and we're, we, we check in with him and things and that we're talking, I'm all, always interested because your sons, like you said, early twenties, both though gainfully employed um, successfully. So, and not necessarily experiencing the drag on the economy that a lot of young people have felt. And so, uh, you know, when I was 22, three, four, five, the, you know, I figured the world was my oyster. I didn't have to worry about anything at that point. I had no well, kids, no, you know, no steady girlfriend, no, no life in any way. But um, but so they are their are their friends buying into the hysteria. I, I mean, I know it's a, I know we're trying to extrapolate, but 
that age and, and their their buddies that aren't I don't have a dad like you that are you know telling them what's smart are are people buying into it are they finding amongst themselves friction uh you know among other their friends that are like oh no we gotta act like this what how's that playing out because the media makes it sound like everybody's at each other's throats well and i think you just hit the nail on the head the media wants to make it seem that way now again i don't know every single one of their friends or every single conversation that they have but for the conversations that i have had with my sons most of the people their age that they're friends with or even lose friends with mostly have the same attitude. They're going to do what it takes to be safe, but they're not going to be over overblown about this. They're not going to, A, stop living their lives, and they're, B, not going to do what someone tells them to do because they're also in that age range where, for the most part, unless, as you opened up the segment with, unless they have a, uh, a comorbidity, they really shouldn't have anything to be worried about. I mean, they're most likely right. going to get sick if they get it, and they're going to survive it. Yeah. Neither one of them had it. Have had it. No. And they're both pretty active. One, one of your sons traveled all uh, in the last year or so. He was traveling for work. So I mean, it's not like they. Yeah, been, they're both uh, very active. You know? um, they 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 both take care of themselves. So I'm I'm not tremendously worried. Hmm. Um, all right. Now, um, different question, but along the same lines. Uh, I know from talking to you, you, you know, you raised your sons. They're old enough, but we all we both have friends, and I have my youngest is nine, but we have friends that have younger children. How, how are you sensing that reaction? I mean, a part of it is exhaustion right now, right? Even the best schools had to do some distance learning in the, in the very first months of the whole thing back in 2020 spring. But a lot of them went back and forth and up and down and in and out. I was with some friends that um, were talking about how in the city they lived in, St. Louis City, that the, all of the sports were canceled across the county line all the sports played. And what happened was a bunch of the kids from one school would go and play sports with the county school. But my point here is it gets exhausting. You got enough things going on. And for parents, the kids stuff, it's sports is canceled. Some things are on two days a week, Monday, Tuesday, one set of kids, Tuesday, Wednesday, for others, Friday's off. How, what's your observation of friends and colleagues of yours that have children? Where is their mind right now? Because it feels like a lot of people have moved to the point where if I was tolerant of this before because I was afraid and because a lot of them, because Trump was saying it and so was Fauci, now they've just kind of turned and they're, they're, they're moving towards it's just got to stop. We have to figure it out. I mean, what, give me your thoughts. I would say, Ed, and I sincerely mean this. I'm not just saying this for, you know, uh, spin of any kind. 90 to 95 percent of the people I talk to, regardless of age, they're over it. They are done. They are so mentally exhausted, again, as you pointed out, from the mask, no mask, uh, vaccine safe, it's not safe. Uh, you know, you can go here, you can't go here. Oh, no, you, you, you can go there again. It's just been this teeter-totter of back-and-forth information restrictions. And most people that I talk to say that if these lockdowns were to ever come back, they might not go along with them because they're done. They're, they're over all of the spin and the hype. They realize, again, like I do, that it is a very real virus. But if you're smart and if you take care of yourself, you're going to be okay. But they're done with the spin. 
Uh, we're talking again with uh, Noah Dingley, the producer of our, this program, and I always hear his voice in my ears. So it's nice he gets around and uh, into the microphone and talks uh, his perspective, which is very very helpful. He's uh, producers in these kind of radio programs are more like partners. You're in the, in the midst of this together. So let's cover this now because people need to hear it. Of course, you are a lifelong Los Angeles Dodgers fan, and as I checked it out the other night, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan, but of course I root because of my friends uh, in San Diego and the Great Answer San Diego. I root for the Padres. Padres didn't do much at the trade deadline. They got a couple of guys, one from the Cubs. The Cubs gave everybody away. The Cubs are now playing a. Uh, the, the Cubs are fe- the Cubs are feel- fielding a softball team from uh, down the downtown Chicago. Uh, they just guys walk on and play for the Cubs because they traded everyone away. So the Padres got one, I think, an outfielder from the Cubs, one pitcher from the Nationals who traded everybody away too, but not much. And meanwhile, up the way. Here comes the Dodgers, and they're moving and shaking. And so, what's your what's your sense now down the stretch uh, uh, for for the rest of the season? If we can stay healthy, and we have actually, I'm surprised we're in second place, uh, three games back of the Giants. As we record this, we're 64 and 43. The fact that we've had all of our major players at some point out of the season. We just got Corey Seager back, so I'm tremendously excited about that. I th- we should really be in third or fourth as of right now. The pickup of Albert has been just tremendous. He has probably been our biggest asset for the main stretch of the season so far, and I hope he continues to perform. So if we can stay healthy, again, if we can stay healthy, and with the addition of if Scherzer pitches like I know Scherzer can, We're World Series bound. But the Dodgers also, and I say that with the caveat and the very realistic perception of the Dodgers have been known over the years to pick up high ticket players that have performed in the past and they don't perform up to their expectation. It's happened. And I, Daryl Strawberry is probably the biggest case in point. I was the biggest, I still am a big Daryl Strawberry fan, but when he was with them, didn't necessarily take it to the next level. So we'll see if Maxi performs. And if he does, we're going all the way. Well, it certainly seems like they loaded up, although I was surprised. So did the Giants, right? The Giants decided this is their year to take a shot, too. And they decided to load up because the I'll Giants... I'll also say this, um, Ed. Even if the Dodgers yeah. do well with what they have, everybody stays healthy. I'm even going to just put it out there and say they're going to take the wild card. I don't think the Giants can be caught. They've been unstoppable this year. Hmm. Wow. Really? I think, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I think you may be off on that one because I just think the giants are, but they did pick up some people, some players. All right. Well, and there's no hope for the Cardinals. I, uh, for my girl, all the listeners. Well, and that's uh, always why there is room for you in the big blue heaven. <laughs> hey, what about Pujols? Is Pujols going to make the team? The- oh, the, there is no doubt. As I just said moments ago, he has probably been, I think the one thing that has kept them close to the Giants, he has performed and performed and performed. Everybody poo-pooed him when we got him. They said he was washed up, he was over the hill, and he has proven everybody wrong. I think he's got 14 home runs now, if I'm remembering correctly, since joining the Dodgers. Not too shabby for a guy that's supposedly over the hill. And no, he easily makes the team. Easily. I mean, and I, I, when they picked up like Trey, I knew, I, I mean, I didn't, I'm just being facetious. I thought, but when they picked up Trey Turner, I thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, you're just going to run out of bats, but um, I'm looking it up right now. You're right. He's up to uh, almost, I think it's 13 or 14 home runs and, uh, and nobody's better in the, in the clutch. So you get into the playoffs. I think you're, and you're going to be, I, I know uh, we're short on time yet, but I will say this from a morale perspective, 
he has been the team yeah. leader of the locker room. You, the, the camera pans, and he's always giving a pep talk to somebody. That is Albert at his finest. <clears throat> All right. Well, that's Noah Dingley at his finest. Noah says, great segment. Thank you, Noah. As always, everybody, we'll take a break and come back and wrap things up. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now, continuing that legacy, the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Personal responsibility is a difficult idea for many of we Americans to come to grips with. Lots of folks like to complain about everything that's wrong with the world, but few would be willing to do anything about it. According to a recent study conducted by the Competitive Enterprise Institute, 60% of Americans are very or somewhat concerned about climate change. Yet 35% would be unwilling to spend even $1 of their own money on climate change mitigation. And this is where Big Brother government steps into the equation. It's the ultimate pass-through scam. Americans would be in an uproar if they had to add a climate change mitigation line to their budget, but if their taxes were raised, they likely wouldn't bat an eye. We expect the government to raise taxes and misuse our money, so we give up without a fight when they give our tax dollars to ridiculous leftist initiatives. What makes this racket especially terrible is the fact that the government keeps most of the money for themselves long before the first dollar goes to help anyone in need. The so-called Green New Deal is the hottest item on the market for global warming alarmists. Leftists consider it the best way for us to save the planet, but they don't often mention the fact that it would cost as much as $93 trillion. That's $600,000 for every household in America. If 75% of citizens aren't even willing to put $50 on the line for climate change, how do they expect us to pony up $600,000? Personal responsibility needs to make a big comeback in our nation. It's been our tradition all these many years in our communities and especially in our churches. I hope every American will be passionate about what's going on in the world, but no one should expect the government to solve every problem for them. If you care about the environment, take steps to reduce your environmental impact. If you care about the needy, give of your time and money to do something about it. All of us should be concerned about sound government policy, but never to the detriment of our own personal responsibility to take action. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Liberal politicians cannot be allowed to manipulate tax laws regarding Social Security, charitable donations, retirement accounts, homeownership, and the definition of family. Low taxes and smaller government are core values at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you, at phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Hope you had a great weekend. I mentioned that. I hope you enjoyed uh, little uh, Noah Dingley and I talking uh, baseball. We should do that more often. Great to talk to him. And as always, Ted Malik. And please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to uh, get get all of the... um, interviews we do in one place you can go there and listen to them view them search for them also you can sign up for the daily email there uh very valuable site i hope you go proamericareport.com and uh, thank you as always uh for all the support we got to finish today by talking about how institutions 
are undermined or more accurately, what happens generally over time with institutions? There are several theorists who say any organization or uh, entity that starts over time will uh, degenerate, will become less uh, focused on its mission. And especially when you're talking about in the um, in the in the area of uh, of advocacy and nonprofit work, there was a number of um, of of reviews at the congressional level of foundations that were started in the era of the Carnegies and others. Rockefellers was one where people thought, especially at the level of the congressional uh, investigations, they thought, well, these things started out saying that they were promoting education and, and they were trying to make things better. They turned into liberal advocacy groups. And so the theories, and this is my theories, any organization over time will become more left-leaning by on average, right? So it doesn't mean it happens every time. Like, but And you can make an argument that in a certain sense, part of the left-leaning thing will be that an organization over time becomes less edgy, less fighting, less hungry. And so, in fact, I think there was the Olin uh, family. They endowed a foundation that they actually said the foundation must end on such and such a date. It may not be extended because they thought if it extended on multi-generations and all, it just becomes wishy-washy. Well, this happened, for example, with the American Bar Association. The American Bar Association, up until the 1960s, and, I, and you could argue that it was a little bit before, maybe the late 50s, but it really accelerated in the 60s and into the 70s. Up until that point... The ABA was was filled with men and women, but mostly men, probably. I mean, you do a percentage. There were women lawyers, of course, but heavily, uh, um, heavily led by men. And they were conservative or better said they were pro-American. And especially in the 1950s. And I know this because the late Phyllis Schlafly and her husband, the late John Schlafly, excuse me, Fred Schlafly was his full name. Uh, I think it was. Uh, um, and Fred Schlafly was a prominent uh, lawyer in Alton, Illinois, who wrote uh, some of the committee reports, some of the reports for the ABA talking about the threat of communism, very conservative. Well, another one of the organizations that over and, and over the ABA, the American Bar Association, over the decades after the 1950s, by the time you get up into the 80s and 90s, they're very liberal. They're liberal on abortion issues. They're liberal on the law. They're liberal on every, everything, really. There are conservatives within it, but it really was in the early 80s what spawned the Federalist Society was having an alternative to the uh, ABA. Another one is the American Medical Association, and the AMA has gotten more and more liberal. They are basically, they were in defense of Obamacare, in defense of abortion all the time, and they have come out, and you probably saw this already, and they have said that birth certificates must must um, uh, get rid of the distinction of on the birth certificates of the um, designation of gender, of, of sex, forget gender, a person's sex de- designation at birth, male or female. The AMA came out and said, we have to get rid of that because it, it will lead to discrimination. Now, Mike Cernovich, who you should follow on Twitter and check in on because he's very smart. He's really interesting. And, and he was the guy that put me on to another guy named Jesse Kelly, who you probably hear of more. But the two of them are great Twitter feeds. And I think it was Cernovich retweeted Kelly, Jesse Kelly, when he said, these institutions all want to destroy the country. That's what they're doing. The AMA is weighing in to pick a side, uh, and they're supposed to be the ones of the American Medical Association. Tell us what things really mean. Can you imagine why, why did they want to get into that fight? And it's because they're just political ideologues. And that's what you have to know about them. 
And, and more and more, you have to step away from any of these long-standing institutions. Harvard University started out as a Christian college, Christian university. All the way to today, it's unrecognizable. And on and on and on. All right, I got to run out of time. Thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley and Joanna, are helping us book these guests out of St. Louis, uh, Missouri. Visit ProAmericaReport.com, and I will be back tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.